there are many things that you would not expect the rabbi to talk about on Shabbat. One of them would be program and administrative staffing at a synagogue. Honestly, you don't expect the rabbi to get up here and say, here's what we're doing internally with our staff to carry out our mission. It's not exactly an inspiring sermon for Shabbat. But tonight, I actually think it relates to this week's Parsha. Staffing and who we should hire to help us carry out our mission has been an ongoing discussion within the synagogue. We did not just see an opening and decide to fill it with the person to complete the very last thing we did. We stopped, we reflected, and we thought about who we are, but even more importantly, who we wanted to be and how human capital could help us actualize that dream. Now, this is not dissimilar to what happens in this week's Parsha. Abraham is hired this week to become the chosen one, to become the first Jew. We read this week, V'yomer Adonai el Avram lech lecha. This right here, this is the moment that he has chosen for the job. But there are two important things to understand when he's appointed to this position. First off, it has been a long, long time that God has been waiting to choose who would be the one. Now, Rabbi Eddie Feinstein, he jokes that he was not chosen first because his name started with an A. Rather, we go through 16 verses of talking about who begot who and how that person begot another person. It's not exactly a page turner, but it's intentionally written to show us that finding the right leader is a process. It takes time to identify what the world needs. And when you finally have defined your core vision of what you need in a leader and you stumble upon him or you stumble upon her, you pounce on it. And that is what God does. After hundreds of years of knowing what leadership the world needed, God found in Abram the necessary skill set to be chosen. But what does it take to be chosen? This right here, this is the question that the rabbis wrestled with when it came to Abram. What was it about him? Because Torah really, it doesn't say much at all. We have lots of texts about what he does after he's picked to lead, but the question that we should be asking is not what does he do after this parsha, but what did Abram do that gets him the job in the first place? What sticks out about him that can succinctly teach us about what it means to be the chosen one? And when there's a gap in the text, the rabbis, they take the liberty in that gap with a story to explain the missing text, and they call that a midrash. We're told that Abraham is chosen, but we're not told in the Torah why. Essentially, we're asking, what is the prequel to the story? What became before this appointment? There are def many different midrashot to explain this, but there's one which captures the essence of what it means to be a Jew in a single story. In Bereshit Rabbah 39a, we read that Abraham was walking in the world and he came upon a birah, a chat, doleket. A birah is a palace or like a castle. And a doleket is like from earlier tonight when we said, lahad lik ner shel shabbat. Doleket means illuminated or it could mean a blaze. Something that's completely on fire. 
he sees a house that is illuminated or consumed in flames, depending on how you read the text. And when he sees this, he asks, does no one care about this house? Is there no one here to look after this? And at that moment, the owner of the building looks out and says, I'm the owner of the castle. And it is because Abraham says, is it possible that this castle has no guide, no one to look after it? And because he says this, God looks out and says to him, I am the master of the universe. And now you, you need to lech lecha because you've been chosen. So what's going on here? What about Abraham's actions in this midrash demonstrates that he's qualified to be the very first Jew and to lay the foundation for what it means to be a Jew? Now, the first way to read the text is that the house is illuminated and that Abraham is just walking through the earth and he's able to see beyond just the house and instead he sees the illumination of the house. Now, this is a fundamental idea in Judaism that there are miracles everywhere. But the question becomes, are your eyes open enough to see them? For Moses, the bush was always burning in the desert, and people had walked past it time and again, but what made him different was that he was actually able to see it. What Heschel would call, he calls this radical amazement. That if you've ever seen a nine-month-old, who here has seen a nine-month-old in front of a mirror? Okay, when that nine-month-old gets in front of a mirror, they go, this huge smile on their face, they usually bang it against, and they think it's incredible. By 18 months, not so much of a reaction. Most of us today, we don't even remember looking into it. Maybe it was a bad hair day for some of us. What quality that Abraham has is that he continued to live his life with his eyes open. Heschel argues that in Judaism, the goal is not to have belief in God. That that's actually a silly and an unattainable goal. Since God is infinite, and we're finite, nothing finite can suddenly claim they understand or believe in the infinite. But what we can do is open our eyes enough and to be in a constant state of radical amazement, like that little nine-month-old going, ah, at everything. And when your eyes are open, you see things that others walk by and they just don't see. Now, many of us were horrified the very first time that we saw a tent on the sidewalk in San Francisco. But then over time, we grow used to it, and it becomes normal. But if you open your eyes enough, you become shocked to see the tent, and every time you see it, it's like the very first time you see a tent in your city. And then, and only then, with those eyes wide open, can the divine pop its head out of the window of the palace. Now this, this is the first qualification, but it's not enough. Because we're not a people who walk around and are satisfied with just having a mindful experience in the world. Just noticing is not enough. That leads us to the second way that the text can be read. Now since the word doleket can also be read as that the palace was engulfed in flames, Abraham's reaction is very different. He not only sees the house, but he feels a responsibility to yell and to call out that there's a fire and that the house must be cared for. Now, this can seem simple. When people walk by something so horrific, of course people are going to react. But that's actually counter to human nature. 
It's the bystander effect. Bibi Latane and John Darley popularized this concept of the presence of others discourages an individual from intervening in an emergency situation. And the most well-known bystander effect was seen in the infamous 1964 Kitty Genovese murder in New York City. Now, while some have countered the Genovese murder as more of a myth than a fact, we can still learn a lot from the story. As Genovese was stabbed to death outside of her apartment, neighbors failed to step in to assist or to call the police. Latani and Darley, they attributed the lack of others reaching out to the murder to the bystander effect, the perceived diffusion of responsibility when others are present. It's common to drive by an accident on the road and to assume that someone else is going to call. I mean, everyone has a cell phone. But what it means to be a Jew is that you assume that no one else on the entire planet has a cell phone and that it is your job to pick up the phone and call. No one else can see the burning palace except for you. And as a result, you have to be the one that yells, the house is on fire, is no one here. And because Abraham did this, he forced God out. He forced divinity back into the world by God revealing God's self, by poking God's head out of the window. This is the fundamental task of a Jew. And they assume that they are the only ones in the world that if they don't act, no one will act. That is what makes Abraham chosen. That is the lesson that we take from this week's Parsha. Chosenness, it was never that Abraham was better or smarter than anyone else. What separated him was that he had his eyes open. He spoke up when it was necessary. That is the measuring stick we must all hold ourselves to. Because that is what the job description was. That's why it took so many generations for the right leader to finally appear. We are the descendants of this line of thinking. It's where the question, am I being a good Jew? It's where that comes from. Being a good Jew, it's not based on a belief system or a creed or a dogma. Being a good Jew, fulfilling one's responsibility, is understanding in the deepest sense is that we are here to see, we're here to call out, we are here to react. Now next week, we're going to see Abraham stand up to God and yell at God when God is being unjust because that is the expectation among rabbinic Judaism for thousands of years. That is the job every one of us is supposed to be in. Shabbat Lech Lecha is a time to reflect on our job performance. Are we walking through our lives with our eyes closed, or do we have the eyes of a child with a beginner's mind, and our eyes are wide open to see the beauty, but also to see the horrors that surround us? And if our eyes are open seeing everything around us, are we blessing what needs to be blessed and yelling and acting on what needs to be acted for? It's only when we can see and it's only when we can call out that God reveals God's self in this world. It was always there. We just had to be bold enough and open enough to see it. Shabbat Shalom.